Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, why the American Navy always has a ship named after the five brothers of an Irish family. As I've spoken to many a former crew member, he says, we were the official American flagship of the Irish Navy. (laughs) The ship was considered a very lucky ship. She never lost a, a man to enemy action. And there's never been more anger in the Irish fishing industry. There's a huge anger in the industry that we have tried in vain to get uh, the minister and the officials to bring in a workable and effective temporary tie-up scheme uh, for the industry because we're in unprecedented times. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from Community Radio Yol, CRY 104FM, on the East Cork coastline, bringing together the maritime community bonded by the sea around us, an island people. You can contact the programme by email to thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. And with me is Justin Marr. We have a special story on this edition about an Irish family from West Cork, their five sons and the United States Navy, which has named warships after them. The Fighting Sullivans are at the centre of a campaign to preserve one of those ships. It's a fascinating story. We start the programme with the country's four major fishing organisations accusing the Minister for the Marine, Michael Creed, and his department of turning their backs on the fishing industry strong language and the four organisations the Irish South and East fish producers based in Waterford the Irish South and West in Castletown Bear County Cork the Irish fish producers and the Killybegs Fishermen's Organisation in Donegal go further saying the Minister and his department have rejected requests for assistance the industry needs to keep fishing going and markets supplied during the Covid health emergency. Minister Creed and his department have offered a scheme of their own, which the organisations describe as botched and unfit for purpose. There has never been more anger in the industry, according to Sean O'Donoghue, Chief Executive of the Killybegs Fishermen's Organisation, speaking to us from Donegal. That is uh, correct, Tom. The, uh, there's a huge anger in the, in the industry that uh, we have tried in vain to get uh, the minister and the officials to bring in a workable and effective uh, temporary tie-up scheme uh, for the industry because we're in unprecedented times in terms of, uh, of the, with the, the prices absolutely collapsing and our main markets being out of action due to, uh, to COVID uh, across, the, across the world. Uh, so prices have dropped uh, between 50 and 70% and uh, Unless we can try and manage the the fleet to actually uh, have some tie up and some stay fishing, we will we will be in an absolute disaster. And unfortunately, the the minister has brought in a scheme which uh, we are absolutely convinced, and so is the entire fishing industry, that it won't work and it will actually do the reverse. That everybody will still stay going to sea and you'll end up with a worse situation than we're already in. It's surprising that 
There's not even a, a scent, as you say, not even, crucially, a fresh approach being taken. Well, we, we had put an enormous effort into getting the European Union to act in terms of making the changes in the European Maritime and Fisheries Fund so that it would allow for these schemes to be brought in. The, the European community and uh, the EU did it within uh, within four weeks. Basically, the, uh, there isn't a, an extra EU vote at EU level or at national level here. And uh, we have to, this has to change. And we are we are pleading with the minister, as you can see in, the, in our uh, release as such, that even if he met us halfway here in relation to this, we can still uh, uh, avoid an absolute disaster for the uh, uh, for the industry, and that we will have vessels that will be able to come back into the industry once we get to the other side of uh, of uh, COVID as such. The organisations have rarely been so strong and unified in their opinion. There's obviously huge, huge anger. There absolutely is. Every every organisation uh, uh, has uh, has made public statements on this uh, today because we we have exhausted all avenues in trying it, in trying to get the uh, the minister to actually take on board what we are saying. It isn't from one to trying and lobbying here, but we now feel we have to get additional support in so that the minister will will have to sit down with us and we can come up with an amended scheme because a scheme that's going to be uh, a month long, we have to tie up for a month, and the, the, the smaller vessels get uh, 500 euros for four weeks as such. I mean, this is just uh, incredible. We put forward what was really a, a very workable, fair, and not over-the-top scheme. We suggested that, given that we're talking here about trying to keep the vessels alive, that we look at the period of fishing last year in the same period, that we would uh, make the thing retrospective, which it is in the EU, back to the, uh, at least the, the 1st of February, and that we would have a, a, a tie-up period of between seven and ten days, and that people would get uh, the equivalent of 30% of their grossings in that same period last year. They're not; they're obviously not going to make profits or anything on that, but it will it will keep them afloat in terms of uh, of being there and being able to entice people to to stay in port because they know that they are they are at least uh, Covered for some of the some of the costs that they had uh, last year, and I think everybody would uh, would run with that. You know. Sean O'Donoghue, Chief Executive of the Killybegs Fishermen's Organisation, outlining the anger of fishermen over the rejection by Marine Minister Michael Creed of their proposals for assistance. The Marine Department said its scheme is a safety net not designed to replace viable fishing activity, that fishing crews can avail of other government supports, and that a low take-up of the scheme will be a positive sign. It said there would be generous vessel quota allocations in June to encourage continued fishing to supply available markets. In the United States, the families of those killed in military conflicts are allowed to display a gold star flag outside their homes. 
In Waterloo, Iowa, the home of the five Sullivan brothers who served together aboard the USS Juno during World War II, have displayed a flag with five gold stars in the front window. The flag indicates that the brothers died together during the naval battle of Guadalcanal in World War II. It was the greatest loss suffered by any American family during that war. The US Navy named two destroyers, the Sullivans, to honour the brothers. The Fighting Sullivans was the title of a film made about them. It was the first time a US naval vessel was named after more than one person. Justin Marr tells their story and that of the two ships which carry on their legacy. The 13th of November, 1942, the light cruiser, the USS Juneau, is in the middle of a furious, close-range and confused battle between the United States and Japan off the shore of Guadalcanal in the South Pacific. Stand by to fire torpedoes. It would be described as one of the most brutal naval battles of World War II. Misfire! 1,439 members of the American forces would die as a result of the battle, including 687 from the Juneau. Five of those 687 were brothers, the Sullivans. It would be the greatest military loss by any one American family during World War II. The deaths would make the brothers national heroes. Schools, streets, parks, and even a convention center were named after them. Two US Navy destroyers were named the Sullivans in tribute to them, while Hollywood would dramatize their lives. The legacy of the brother's sacrifice lives on today. Name? George Sullivan. Sullivan. Take this and wait inside till we call your number. Name? Sullivan. Sullivan. Hey, didn't I just... Oh, brothers, eh? Name? Sullivan. Sir. Now listen, buddy. This is no time to be making with the jokes. That's my name. George, Frank, Joe, Matt, and Al Sullivan were the sons of Thomas and Aletta Sullivan of Waterloo, Iowa, whose ancestors hailed from Adrigal on the Barra Peninsula in Cork. The boys were a close-knit group. They were best friends, truly were, and the whole family was very close. They were an Irish Catholic family that really stuck together. That's Kelly Sullivan. She's the granddaughter of the youngest brother, Al, who was 20 years old when he was aboard the Juneau. The one thing that I know, because I've heard stories from friends and family, is that the boys were rarely apart. They were a very strong family unit, very protective of each other. My great-grandparents were loving and close to them, too, and they were just a really close Irish Catholic family. The two oldest brothers, George and Frank, had been discharged from the peacetime Navy in May of 1941. But the 7th of December 1941, a date which will live in infamy, changed the course of their lives and those of their brothers. Exactly how extensive is the damage to our fleet? How many vessels were at anchor in Pearl Harbor is not yet officially known. The president is expected to go before the Congress tonight or early tomorrow and ask for a declaration of war. Those Japs will be sorry they were born. Listen, we'll wipe them off the map in a couple of weeks. Don't kid yourself. We'll lick them, but it'll take plenty of time. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, there was no question that they were going to go into the Navy. And they, they just wanted to be together. My grandmother 
uh, had told my grandfather she wanted him to go because he wasn't going to go because he had a wife and, and child, my dad, Jimmy Sullivan. She'd tell me the story. She'd say, Kelly, you know, I just thought I'd get a break from him for a couple months. That's why she said, you know, go go with the brothers. Uh, I want you to be with them. You know, they didn't realize what they were getting into. I don't think America realized the extent of what the war was really going to be. Fire approaching the magazine, sir. Okay for another five minutes. Fire approaching the magazine, sir. Okay for another five minutes. Fire approaching the magazine, sir. Okay for another five minutes. Prepare to abandon ship. Pass the word. Prepare to abandon ship. The Sullivans were assigned to the newly commissioned USS Juneau, which served in the South Pacific from August of 1942. Minutes into the naval battle of Guadalcanal on the 13th of November, a torpedo from the Japanese destroyer Amatsukaze ripped into the port side of the Juneau, taking out its steering and guns, killing 19 men in the forward engine room. It would be torpedoed again by the Japanese submarine I-26 and sunk. Where's George Sullivan? Get out of here, abandon ship. There he is. What's the matter with you, Lux? Get out of here. Oh, come on, Georgie. We'll carry you. I, I told Mama, look, man, you, you stick around here and you get your heads blown off. Oh, you can't go swimming without you. It took a week for the survivors to be collected. Only 10 remained. The rest had succumbed to injury, dehydration, or shark attack. At least one, maybe two of the Sullivans had survived the initial sinking. George, the eldest brother, had been on board one of the small life rafts. Weak and hallucinating, one night George said that he was going to take a bath. He took off his uniform and entered the water. He was never seen again. But it would be months before the parents of the brothers were told. You see, the, the way these things are done ordinarily, you'd get a telegram right from the Navy Department, but... Which one? All five. All five. It took two months for the Navy to finally tell the Sullivan family that the boys were gone. My great-grandmother wrote a letter to the Navy Department and said, you know, there's a rumor going around town. There's a rumor that my five boys are gone. Uh, please tell me if it is so. And then after the Navy Department received her letter, they sent someone to the house. The incredible thing about that particular day is my great-grandfather went to work that day, right after he found out that his boys were gone. And everyone thinks that's kind of unusual, but they don't realize that he worked for the Illinois Central Railroad, carrying war freight to the troops. So he wanted to make sure that the war freight got through to the troops. They loved their country so much, they would do whatever it took to help the war effort. And I, I believe that's why they're talked about today, 77 years later. As this ship slides down the ways, it carries with it a special armor all its own the flaming and undaunted spirit that is the heritage of its name. The five Sullivan boys are gone. The USS the Sullivans carries on. In response to the family's monumental loss, President Franklin D. Roosevelt ordered that a Fletcher-class destroyer be named the Sullivans. It would be the first of two Navy destroyers to bear the brothers' name, and the first ship named after more than one person. It launched in April of 1943. The Sullivan's brother's mother, 
a letter would be the ship's sponsor. Our ship was the only ship in the U.S. fleet that was authorized to have a decoration on its stack. This ship was allowed to have a shamrock. John Browning is a retired naval chief petty officer and the superintendent of ships at Buffalo and Erie County Naval and Military Park. As I've spoken to many a former crew member, he says, we were the official American flagship of the Irish Navy. (laughs) And so the luck of the Irish is why the shamrock was always allowed to be on there. Of course, honor of the five brothers and the family. But the ship was considered a very lucky ship. She never lost a a man to enemy action. She served in the the Pacific, shot down eight Japanese aircraft, bombarded Iwo Jima and Okinawa, and actually came to the rescue of USS Bunker Hill, which was an aircraft carrier that was kamikaze. Part of that story actually leads to the unique photograph that was taken in Times Square of the kissing sailor. The kissing sailor was named George Mendonza. He was a Sullivan's crew member. At the end of the war, she was decommissioned for a short period of time and then brought back into service when the Korean War started. I christen thee USS the Sullivan's. After service in both World War II and the Korean War, the first USS the Sullivan's was decommissioned in 1965. In 1995, a second destroyer launched bearing the Sullivan's name. Its sponsor was Kelly Sullivan, the granddaughter of youngest brother Albert. My great-grandmother had the opportunity to do that with the first USS Sullivan DD-537. And I just was so touched by how much love she had for the crew. She called them her boys because you know, her, she'd lost her boys. So when I became the sponsor of USS Sullivan's, I knew that I wanted to show the the sailors how much they mean to me. They're the family that I didn't end up having. And so I think of them as my brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. So I have a fantastic Navy family that I truly adore. Meanwhile, the original USS The Sullivans is moored on the shores of Lake Erie at the Buffalo and Erie County Naval and Military Park. It's maintained by Superintendent of Ships John Branning. The ship is heading towards 80 years of age and is in need of some help. As the time has gone, it's like, you know, when you're 70 plus years old, you you leak a little bit around the edges, you smell kind of funny, you make weird noises. So that's kind of the way this vessel is. And as time goes on, inside and out, with the sea creatures and marine life and marine growth that build up on the hull itself, That's where we see the vast majority of the damage. And that's really where the deterioration has gotten to the point where it's untenable if we keep things the way they are. Our motto, and the new the Sullivan's motto, is we stick together. The five brothers initially joined the Navy. Their stipulation was, we got to stick together. And these guys gave it all, and they did it as a family. And so the ship itself is just a symbol of that devotion to duty and devotion to country that we all aspire to have. Justin Marr and the story of the fighting Sullivans. 
And you can find out more about the campaign to save the original USS the Sullivans and the other naval vessels preserved by the Buffalo and Erie County Naval and Military Park at their website, buffalonavalpark.org. The sailing sector is being hit hard by COVID-19. The two oldest yacht clubs in the world, both Irish, the Royal Cork at Crosshaven, 300 years old this year, and Lockery Club at Athlone, 250 years, have had to cancel their celebrations. Also cancelled is Cork Week, and also the great traditional boat gathering at Crinuna Maud, the gathering of the boats in Kinvara County Galway, as well as Glandor Classic Boats Regatta in West Cork in July and the World Dragon Championships at Kinsale in September. These are not alone losses for the clubs concerned, but huge blows to the local economies in those areas. Sveiki, tautieši! Tāda palīdzēšanas atras pārdu dokumentiņus, ko palasīt sakarā ar vīrusu, kurš šobrīd plūsās pa visu pasauli. Tātad atveriet internetu lapu. That's a language you won't often hear on Irish radio, a health advisory notice about COVID-19 in Latvian, broadcast to foreign fishing fleets off the southwest coast from Bear Island Community Radio, one of seven languages in which the advice is broadcast. Rhoda Twombly tells us more in her monthly report about the offshore islands from the Islands Federation. While it is true that there are differences in how European countries are handling the COVID-19 emergency, there are commonalities. All agree that, at least one day in the future, life will follow a new normal, but will be forever changed both positively and negatively. European islands do have their own unique needs with regard to protection against the virus and the recovery of their communities and economies. Generally, many island economies depend on tourism. Access is by ferries, be they traditional, hovercraft or rib, and airplane. Some islands are under complete lockdown where none but permanent residents are allowed to travel to the islands. While COVID-19 protection roadmaps in some countries are further along in the recovery process and so are beginning to lessen restrictions, many islands continue to be closed to non-residents for another few months to protect their vulnerable populations. Bear Island Community Radio, developed under the European Grassroots Project, is serving not only their island residents, but the Bear Peninsula and the Bear Diaspora, scattered over 19 countries. The station also provides health advice in seven languages to reach out to the international fishing community nearby. Truly international service during the COVID-19 pandemic. While we are all anxious to welcome visitors back, it is agreed that this must be done safely to continue to protect our most vulnerable residents. Kogalilanern has requested consultation with the relevant bodies to ensure that the islands are ready and protected, that piers, ferries, planes and buses are prepared for social distancing and equipped with sanitizing products. Hopefully any training that is necessary for those dealing with the public will be made available. Preparedness for the return of travel to and from the islands must now be fully examined with a plan for all the necessary safeguards to protect the islands. It is felt that offshore islands opening up to visitors on the government-appointed date of the 10th of August, and this date is dependent on circumstances over the next few weeks. 
must ensure that their residents are protected by insisting that the relevant authorities ensure that all access points be equipped and training provided in the use of protective equipment and clothing, that social distancing be enforced on all piers, ferries, buses and planes that serve the islands. The Board of Kogolilangaran would like to have clear guidance on the above matters by those responsible for such advice within the next two weeks, if possible, so the people involved with the islands are fully informed. While the presence of COVID-19 is frightening, frustrating, heartbreaking and economically devastating, it is imperative that we do not attempt to reopen against advice. There is ample evidence from previous pandemics and plagues that such a rush is counterproductive to the economy. We are lucky to be COVID-free currently. We are also lucky that if lifting restrictions leads to a spike in cases on the mainland, we currently have a cushion against this happening on islands. So for now, it's stay safe, stay healthy and slawn from the islands. Rhoda Twombly reporting from Kogol Ilon Heron. Now to the world of angling, where things are getting underway again after the easing of lockdown restrictions. Hello to all the anglers listening in. Miles Kelly from Inland Fisheries Ireland here again to give a quick roundup of the news from the world of fishing. Now that angling is underway locally, we have some fishing reports to share once more. Not many, but we expect to have more updates for you next time round. For the most part, the weather for the majority of the country has been pretty dry, with well below average rainfall for most of May. Although it's been sunny, temperatures were also below normal in nearly all parts of the country during the first couple of weeks of the month. Some of the evenings have been bitter, in stark contrast to the sunny days we've seen. But there were some warm ones too. This was great news for the lake anglers buzzing with anticipation for their first Mayfly trip of the year. But salmon anglers remain melancholy, as most rivers are at low levels. Recent rains may see a small lift in fortunes, but unless there's a bit more, it won't last. Sea anglers living within five kilometres of the coast have been lucky with the weather too. Venues from Waterford to West Cork are reporting some decent bass fishing. It's all down to the tides, but once you learn the local rhythms, you're sorted. Returning to trout fishing, Loch Sheelan saw some dramatic hatches of fly in May. Buzzers were out in clouds, and there were great numbers of olives about. Mayfly fishing was pretty good for the second half of May. There was no shortage of fly, and some great fish were reported. Beautiful spotted leviathans of the lake to over eight pounds were caught and released. As the lockdown restrictions continue to ease, we'll keep you advised on what that means for anglers. Check out fishinginireland.info to stay up to date. That's all from me this week. Safe fishing to all. And don't forget, CPR saves fish. Miles Kelly from Fisheries Island. Before we go, Tom, going back to your mention of sailing, May has special memories for you, doesn't it? Yes, Justin. 30 years ago, on May the 23rd, 1990, the first Irish yacht in the round-the-world sailing race, the 83-foot NCB Ireland, crossed the finish line at 6am on a Friday morning in Southampton, having sailed 3,818 nautical miles over 18 days on the last leg from Fort Lauderdale in Florida. I was a crew member and had had the experience of keeping watch in the dark of night for icebergs. That was up around the Labrador banks, an area of three to 400 miles off Newfoundland and Canada, and very cold it was. Arriving in Southampton was special. The Irish national anthem played to welcome us home, 
and many Irish people were on a fleet of boats. I guess it's no surprise then, Tom, that you take an interest in polar waters. <laughs> we didn't cross paths with icebergs, Justin, but there was ice to see. It was tough at times, but a great experience. And so we end this edition of the Maritime Programme, This Island Nation, with sound supervision also by Justin. The programme is broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. Radio Corkabushkeen in Clare, Kilkenny City Radio. West Limerick 102 FM in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island. On Apple Podcasts and podcasts on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the marinetimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. The programme email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com That's thisislandnation at gmail.com Phone or text 0872-555-197. 0872-555-197. Until our next programme, from Justin Marr and from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. Thank you.